the king is throwing a wedding feast for his son and he invites certain people. And then it's time and he sends, in, you know, he's like sent out an RSVP. And he's expecting people to come. He sends out slaves to say, okay, it's time. Y'all come on. And nobody comes. So then, and this is where many times we'll see this and we'll think, oh, this is just about a tyrant of a king. I mean, look how horrible he is. People won't come to his wedding feast and so he kills them. I mean, but look, there's more to it than that. He invited them. They ignored him. Then he goes out again and he invites them again. Do you see? He's being gracious and he's being uh, patient. Just like where the Lord says, the Lord's not slack concerning his return, but uh, he is long suffering because he doesn't want any to perish. And so the king gives him a second chance and he sends out and it's an invitation he sends out an invitation again, and still they will not come. And, but not only that, some of them ridiculed him, made light of the whole thing. They were disrespectful, and some of them killed the messengers. They mistreated them, they abused them, and they killed them. It wasn't until, he start, until they started mistreating, abusing, and killing that he sent the troops out and he wiped out the town and he wiped out all those who were murderers. And so it's not quite as tyrannical as it seems at first. And then this is just it. Right here, we see him tell his slaves, those who were invited were not worthy. I never noticed the word worthy in there before. And to me, that's important because, you know, remember when the prodigal son was coming back, he told his father, I am no longer worthy. And so this is a big word. It's an important word to Jesus. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But that's one of the things that intrigued me and struck me as we were looking through this story. So then he goes out and he invites the good and the bad. And the wedding place is filled. The hall is filled. And then the king goes walking among his guests and he comes across one that doesn't have his garment on. And this one that doesn't have his garment on, this is another thing I hadn't noticed before. When he says, friend, how did you get in here without wearing your wedding garment? And it says he was speechless. Have you ever noticed that? He just goes, ah, you know, obviously he just come in for the food. He, uh, he came in for the, the eating and drinking. He cared nothing about the festivity that was going on. All he cared about was him. And we'll look at that more in just a minute. And then at the very end, and this is an intriguing verse, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And there are a lot and a lot of people that take that and they use that as a sign of uh, predestination. Once saved, always saved. Many are called, few are chosen. And it's only those that God chooses 
But see, that's not what it's talking about here. Let's put it in context. He called the first bunch. He called the second bunch. And then in the second bunch, even there's somebody that's not worthy to stay in the place. He has them tied up and thrown out, tied him up so he couldn't get back in. So uh, it was important. And so here we have those three things, but the main, the one about many are called and few are chosen. Who are the chosen? Because it's important because those are the ones who are worthy. And so the thing that we need to ask ourselves this morning, I think, is are we worthy? And for looking at this passage, we see this. We can start seeing what it means to be worthy of being in the kingdom of God. Now then, let's back up a little again. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's telling this, this is a parable. And in this parable, those who were first invited are those of Israel, those in uh, those Jerusalem. And they are the, and then the and the messengers are the prophets and the messengers are also those who were those disciples that were sent to spread the good news. Said so they killed them, they abused them, and then he destroyed the city. Now Jerusalem is the city. Let's face it. And seventy years after Jesus said these words, the Roman. Uh, uh, general went into Jerusalem and he destroyed it in such a way that the only thing left standing of the temple is the wailing wall. That's all that's left. And this is in the last week, about Wednesday of the last week of Jesus' life that he's telling this. And he's foretelling what's going to be happening to Israel and to uh, Jerusalem. But uh, the thing is, there are many things about this that did not mean that all of those in Jerusalem were going to be killed or anything like that. Because if you'll recall on the day of Pentecost, many of that crowd wound up receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. But generally, this is what happened. Uh, they were the, the city was destroyed. And so it's a parable about the religious leaders of that day. And he's talking to them and he's warning them of what's going to happen if they don't repent. Remember, Nineveh repented. They got extra time and they were spared. But Jerusalem and the leaders in Jerusalem, they did not repent. They kept plotting to kill Jesus and ultimately killed him. And so he's addressing them. But at the same time that he's addressing them, He's addressing us. And so we need to look at this and find out where are we in this whole uh, spectrum of things. And it's not that the Jews are excluded. They are not. But many are called and few are chosen. And it doesn't matter. We see they brought in all sorts of people. They were brought in the good and the bad. And I keep on saying the ugly. And, but, uh, and let's just face it. And uh, anyway, we'll just, we'll just go on with this now. No doubt this is a parable of judgment, but it may not be the judgment that we think it is. Speaking about the first group of guests, the king says, those invited were not worthy 
And by implication from that, those in the second invited group are worthy. Now, we tend to get nervous and fidgety when God begins making judgments, don't we? It leaves us wondering whether we're in the first group or we're in the second group. Are we unworthy or are we worthy? And I suspect our nervousness about uh, and our fear about God's judgments arise from the assumption that God judges us in the same way that we judge others. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a young lady who was interviewing for a job and her potential employer asked her, so what would you say is your biggest character flaw? And she replied, I'd have to say honesty. And uh, he said, well, I don't really consider honesty as a character flaw. And she responded, well, I really don't give a hoot what you think. Now, the the thing is, more often than not, our judgments of others are judgments of exclusion. What if it's just the opposite with God? What if Jesus is trying to shock us into seeing that the kingdom of heaven is not business as usual according to our standards? What if God's judgment on our lives is one of grace, acceptance, and invitation, a judgment of inclusion instead of exclusion? If that's true, then what separates or distinguishing or or distinguishes the, the first group from the second? The difference isn't that one is more deserving than the other. And that, if you look at the definition of the word that's translated worthy, it's translates, it means deserving. Later on in the book of Revelation, we'll hear the call go out. Who is worthy to open the book of seal and break the seals of the book? And it says that all heaven grows silent. And here are the martyrs of God. Here are the angels. The whole throng of heaven is silent. No one is worthy. And then John begins to cry because no one could open the book. And one of the elders said, don't cry because the Lamb of God is on his way and he is worthy. And the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world comes and he takes the book and he opens the book and everyone in the whole place is shouting, worthy is the Lamb. He deserves our praise and he deserves all power and glory and honor. This word worthy appears over and over in the Bible. And the difference isn't that one is more deserving than the other because as we see in some instances, the entire realm of heaven except for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His Father and the Holy Spirit are unworthy. Let's face it. But see here, the man showed up without a wedding robe They were all invited. They were all favored. 
None of them had done anything to earn or deserve the invitation. It was just given. If that's true for them, it's true for us. The invitation into God's heavenly banquet has been given to every one of us. We were all deemed worthy to receive the invitation, but what do we do with it? You see, this is where the rubber starts to meet the road. The difference isn't that the king likes one group more than another. His sole motivation is to share his banquet. He wants someone, anyone, everyone to join in his joy and celebration and to be a part of his kingdom and his life. And both groups are given the same opportunity. If that's true for them, it's true for us. The difference is that some guests uh, are good and others bad. There's no distinction or judgment made based on behavior, beliefs, attitudes, or morals. To the contrary, with the second round of invitations, the king sends his servants into the main streets with the instruction to invite everyone you find, everyone you find. And they did. They went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. If that's true for them, it's true for us. Now, that's probably not the kind of social life most of us live or we offer to one another or receive from one another. But the parable is talking about God's kingdom, not ours. So what is it? What's the difference between those who were not worthy and those who were? There's only one thing really that distinguishes the first invited guests and the second invited guests. Presence. They showed up. The first bunch didn't didn't come. They didn't show up. The second group showed up. The first invited did not. The wedding hall was filled with the second invited guests, but the first invited guests would not come. That's the only difference between the two groups, isn't it? Now, we see one little other tweak put on this by the guy at the end with the wedding garment. We'll get to that in just a minute. But their presence showed that they put a high value on the invitation and on the king. It was worth something to them to be there at the banquet. Jesus tried to get uh, get it across in his teachings over and over again that the kingdom of God is so important that it demands our full attention and attendance. It should have the highest priority in our lives. He says the kingdom of heaven is like the pearl of great price. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. It's going to cost all that you have, but it's going to be worth so much more than anything you've ever experienced before. As I was thinking about this worthiness and unworthiness, I remember the night the Lord invited me to his heavenly banquet. And he put me 
in the same position in a way as the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young ruler with him, it was his property that he loved and he couldn't leave it to be present with the Lord. With me, it was my wife. He told me he wanted me to be a minister and I explained to him how my wife wasn't going to be happy being a preacher's wife and uh, that I was concerned about that. And instead of say giving me a get out of jail free card or anything like that, he brought a couple of three scriptures to mind. The first one was, but Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. See, I just said, I've done things my way. It hasn't worked. This is before Dr. Phil was around saying, how's that working for you? I figured it out myself and the Lord's presence just confirmed it. My way wasn't working. And I said, I want to live my life your way. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to do what you would do. What do you want me to do? You want to be a preacher. Oh, no, man, not that. And then so, and then we have this conversation about how Sharon's not going to be happy getting the walls, had to get permission to get the walls painted or to get the ice maker fixed or anything like that. And he says, you see, I was looking back. He called me and I said, I'd go. But then he says, if you're, if you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you're not fit. You're not worthy of the kingdom of God. And then the next one just cemented the whole thing. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You see, there's that word, worthy. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's that word. You don't deserve me if you put anything or anyone ahead of me, is what he is saying. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Just like the rich young ruler, he gave me no options but by faith, I knew in my heart of hearts that he had the best in store, not just for me, but for all those that loved me and were counting on me and were depending on me. For my wife, my kids, and everyone that I love, me being true to him was more important. Often the question the Lord puts before us is not what or who we value, but who and what do we value the most or where you're willing to go and what you're willing to do is the evidence. You see, it's do you show up? You could give all sorts of RSVPs and say, oh yeah, I'll be there. But do you show up when the what do you say? Where the rubber meets the road. Do you really show up whenever the moment presents itself and it's not going to come again? Where you're willing to go and what you're willing to do is the evidence. The key to our life in God is just show up and be present. That's what it's all about. Show up and be present. And you know, we volunteer to do this every 
month in the whenever we take Holy Communion. Have you ever noticed that? Take your hymnals there, turn to page 26. And then after you get there, flip on over to page 29 and count up to the top of the second paragraph on page 29 from the bottom. Second paragraph from the bottom. And it begins, and here we. Has everybody found that? Read those two paragraphs with me together out loud. And here we offer and present, present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, our bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and lively sacrifice unto thee, humbly beseeching thee that all we who are partakers of this holy communion may be filled with thy grace and heavenly benediction. And although we be unworthy, you see there, there's that worthy word again, unworthy through our manifold sins to offer to thee any sacrifice, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounded duty and service, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses. Every month, we present ourselves, our souls, and our bodies to the Lord. We promise him we're going to be present. Lord, we're showing up. Do you see that? We make our promise every month to do that. And we should do it every morning when we wake up, shouldn't we? But uh, the, uh, Steve Shogren is a really wonderful pastor. Uh, he pastors a church in Cincinnati that's known for doing wonderful things for everybody. And uh, he's, his whole, the minister of the whole church is based on uh, what Mother Teresa said about not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And that's that, what that church goes about doing. And that's what y'all do. I mean, we sit around and brag about each other to each other when the, other, the rest of you aren't listening about the small things that you and this congregation do for each other and for people outside our congregation. Well, that's the way what this huge church uh, does, and they find different ways to do it. Sometimes they'll just go around and give away light bulbs to people because people are always running out of light bulbs, knocking on doors and giving them to them, and not expecting anything in return. Uh, they'll even offer to change light bulbs for people that can't reach them to change them. And they do all, they'll just go knock on doors. Is there anything we can pray for you about today? Uh, and they would do they, this one time he was doing a free car wash and they were out there washing cars and they refused to take money. They would just give them a grace card saying, no, this doesn't cost a thing. It's free, just like God's grace to you. See, that's a way to call people and let them know that it's not something that uh, we don't, we're not expecting. God doesn't expect anything in return. He offers, he, sends, he extends the invitation. Will you receive it? Some people have a hard time. And this one guy, he just, he just said, you, you guys are different than lots of other churches I've been around. And my daughter and I have been talking about this stuff. And we really want to be Christians. And we've been reading the Bible, but we just don't know how to, 
how to approach this stuff. They said, well, come, come, come join with us. And uh, he said, but we really want to be Christians. How do we become Christians? He said, well, just start coming to church and you'll find out. He said, but isn't there some sort of a prayer that we need to pray or something? And Steve said, well, yeah, there is. You want to pray it with me now? He said, yeah, yeah. And they got ready. And Steve said, okay, this is what you say. Well, Lord, here I am. And the guy said, well, Lord, here I am. And they said, that's it? He said, yeah. You see, and that is the first prayer that any of us ever pray when we commit ourselves to the Lord, isn't it? Lord, I'm showing up. Here I am. Use me. I'm not worthy, but I'm here. I've turned around. I'm not running from you anymore. I have surrendered. I'm here. Zap me or whatever you're going to do. But right now, here I am. Well, and just think about it. If you're going to lead somebody in a sinner's prayer and they know nothing about Christianity, what are they going to know about sin besides the fact that it's been fun up to now? I mean, really, they're not going to even know how to define sin. And a lot of things that they are defining it sin probably aren't sin. And a lot of things they anyway, do you see what I mean? You just you show up as you approach him. He's going to run to you and embrace you and start helping you to become that person that deep inside you've always longed to be and were created to be. Here I am. And then you just go from there with him. That's a lot easier said than done. I know to be present is difficult work. When you have you ever tried to be present for another person? Uh, Just think about it. It means establishing the other person as our priority in that moment. It means seeing them for who they are and not who we want them to be or think that they should be. It means opening ourselves to receive their life into our own. It means the vulnerability of entrusting and giving our life to another. Jesus modeled that for us. And I knew that being a Christian was going to be risky when I first started. And I put up walls to keep from getting hurt. And I said, Lord, if I give myself to other people, if I expose myself, if I take down these walls, I might get hurt. He said, yeah, I know. But 11 out of 12 ain't bad. He shared himself deeply with 12 men. Only one of them betrayed him. Now, he experienced a lot of hurt, but he also experienced a lot of joy. And a lot of us miss out on the joys in life because we're not willing to really be present with other people. We stay behind our masks. We stay being other people. But but that's a part of being present the vulnerability of entrusting and giving our life to the other. It means really listening to what they say and not just what we hear or want to hear. It means letting go of our agendas, our distractions, our fears, and our prejudices. It means bringing and offering all that we are and all that we have to that other person. 
If we're not doing this with others, we're probably not doing it with God. Instead, we too often go our separate ways to our farms and businesses. We're too busy, too tired, too distracted. There's work to be done and there's money to be made. We make light of the other's life and what is being offered. If we don't earn it or work for it, we assume it has no value. After all, you get what you pay for, right? We're convinced we have better things to do and better places to be. That's what the first invited group did. What they did not realize and what we sometimes do not realize is that there is no life really outside the banquet, outside the kingdom. To show up and to be present is to be worthy before God. Because in doing that, you're showing him that you value him, that you put faith in him. It's that simple and it's that difficult. We don't earn or prove our worthiness as a prerequisite to entering the banquet. We show up, we're present, and we discover for ourselves the worthiness God has always known about us. That's when our lives begin to change. But what about the guy that showed up without a wedding robe? This is about more than just a dress code violation. It's about the same as if you saw somebody wearing Bermuda shorts and a flip-flop at the funeral of your loved one. It would take you aback, wouldn't it? Well, this was out of place. Something was missing. It says he was speechless. He had no excuse. It was as if he hadn't really, he wasn't really there the way the Lord wanted him to be there. Jesus is reminding us that there are times when we show up, but we're not really present. He was there with his own agenda, not to honor the king or his son or to be a part of the king's celebration. It was all about what he wanted, not what the moment was really all about. He was just there for the food and drink, not really for what the celebration was really all about. He was like those supermarket Christians who want to just pick and choose what they're uh, going to take and what they're going to leave as far as their relationship with God. He received the gift and dishonored the giver. He's like those who only study the Bible to see what they can get out of the kingdom. Those who say, if we do this and this and this, then God must do this. He was like those Pharisees who were in the service of the Lord for power, position, and prestige and those who are in it for those reasons today. He showed up, but he showed up for the wrong reason. He showed up for what he could get out of it, not for what it was really all about. How about you? Are you like the first group who were invited and you haven't showed up yet? Are you like the fellow who showed up, but you showed up for the wrong reason? 
Or are you one of that second group who received the invitation, were surprised and overjoyed to get it, and have shown up for the party for the right reason? Because it was the most important thing you could ever do. This is the Lord's message for us today. Those who are worthy are those who have received what God has offered. And they value what God offers more than anything or anyone else. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the prayer of all of us this morning be this. Well, Lord, here I am. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.